Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Koinonia Church Message Library. Our hope is that today's message encourages you, challenges you, and brings you closer to Jesus. We are confident that God's Word is living and active and is relevant for us today. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the message. All right, church. I'm going to gather you back in. I see spouses grabbing other spouses and say, hey, it's time. Let's focus in. Welcome to our time in the Word. And many of you will recognize who's beside me here, but if you don't know him, he is a spiritual father here at Koinonia. It's Dwayne Harder. And welcome, Dwayne, all the way from Calgary. Thank you. I've got an aunt and uncle who are here who live in Calgary, and they came here because they knew you were going to be here. They, oh, they yes. just couldn't get enough of Calgary, <laughs> so... We, uh, we welcome Dwayne. He, he brings the heart of the kingdom, the heart of the Father. And he's been walking in a journey with Koinonia for many years. And so as he comes, he comes prayed into and listening for what the Holy Spirit wants to speak. And he's going to continue with our study in First Peter and brings a message that is very close to his heart as well. So Dwayne, I bless you as you lead and speak out. Bless you. Yeah. I would be glad to. Father... It is your words that we want to hear. Mm -hmm. And I know Dwayne desires for you to be heard, for your truth through your word to be proclaimed. God, often his prayer is pausing and even in a conversation say, help me, Holy Spirit. How do I articulate this? So I know he's already prayed that prayer. And so may you speak through him to us as family today, your family. Lord, we look forward to what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. I would have to say that the most humbling thing is to stand and declare the word of God and the most fearful thing is to stand and declare the word of God. People have often said to me, are you nervous, Duane? I said, well, it's not really nervousness. Any nervousness I have, I just taught my butterflies how to fly in formation. But it's the realization that we are here to declare something that God wants to speak and not being presumptuous that every word is the word of God but as clearly as possible, it's to be able to communicate the heart of God. And that, to me, is a very fearful thing. And so your prayer, your standing with me. I, I was actually encouraged this morning. As I looked down there and I saw, in the light of eternity. I mean, what's an hour, an hour and a half? In the light of eternity. <laughs> just thought I'd keep that in mind. <laughs> in fact, I won't mention him by name, but somebody before the service said to me, you know, we were saying there were a few of us together, and he just said, well, I, I've just got a new definition of suffering, and that's listening to Duane teach on suffering. So suffer with me, would you please? <laughs> I am grateful for the many, many memories of past years of 
of fellowship with many of you, working with you. That has been the grace of God, and I'm grateful for that. And Marv and I were continually grateful for the support that came from Koinonia for us and continues to come, and, and we do thank you. I don't receive that in any way presumptuously, but I'm very grateful to God for people like yourselves who have stood with us over the years. And I pray that God would continue to abound to you according to his word. Uh, that's what Paul said to the Philippians. It's not that I am, I'm desirous of a gift from you, but I desire that the grace of God would abound to you even more. And that's our, our prayer for you. Uh, I want to just give this message a little bit of a context. When, uh, when I watched Marva struggling with polio, when I was a young boy, she was a young girl, she was 10 years old uh, when she got polio, and then came out of the hospital a year later and was in a wheelchair. They had said she would never walk. But Marva, during that time, used to believe that God wanted to heal her. And when I say used to, that's because she's gone. She's with the Father. She doesn't need any more healing. Amen? But she would wake up in the morning and take the covers off and just try to move her leg, thinking, am I healed? Am I healed? Praying every day for God to heal. And as she grew, and I mean, I told her I pushed her wheelchair when she came out of the hospital. I said, I'll push it until the day you cross the finish line. I didn't know that that in actual fact was going to be the reality. But we walked with that. I couldn't count the thousands of times that Marv and I together have prayed for God to bring healing. And so I wrestled with this whole thing of healing. What was, what was in the heart of God? A few years before she went to be with the Lord, uh, she said to me, Honey, I believe God is saying to me that the healing that I desire more than physical is the healing of the soul. And I say that within the framework of a lady who came to me, or came to her, I should say, and said, you know, your, your infirmity is an embarrassment to God. I mean, I wanted to give that lady five reasons why she should keep her mouth shut. You know, I was angry. See, because I've had uh, stewardesses. I mean, I know a number of them, but ones that I don't even know. When Marva has been with me, come to me and say, there's something that comes from the face of your wife that we can't explain. I've had nurses express the same thing to me. In fact, one of them who was in charge of the health care in Cochrane said to me, Duane, we have nurses here that have a discussion as to who's going to get to go and look after your wife. Now, I just ask you the question, is that an embarrassment to God? Come on, is that an embarrassment to God? You see, we need to, we need to have a different picture 
And God has been giving you that. I mean, I've been listening. I listen just about every every uh, Sunday morning. I'm able to tune in to join you. You don't know that, but I'm here with you. And you've been blessed with great teaching out of First Peter here. It's been it has been good, and I have been blessed as I've listened and carried on with this. But you see, I've said this: the church has a good theology about healing, but it doesn't have a good theology about suffering. And we've, we've somehow missed some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that are in the Scripture about suffering, and we have sort of wrapped them up in a, in a I would call it a package of healing that, well, okay, well, there is suffering, but it's momentarily until you get healed. But I should say, God, what is there that is in us that we can, we can sort of gloss over things that are in the Scripture and forget that they're there? I mean, just in this last year, the few times that I've read through the Gospels, I was impressed with how often Jesus actually spoke to his disciples and said, I'm going to die, but I'm going to raise again, be raised again. Duh. And I've had to say to myself, uh, you've been, 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 been there too, Dwayne. Right? He said it to them plainly. As plain as the language could make it. But you see, sometimes we have a set of glasses on that kind of skewers what we're hearing that's kind of a mixed metaphor, isn't it? Glasses and hearing. Anyway, messes us up because we have a perception of something that relates to what we want. They wanted a kingdom. They wanted Rome pulverized, removed, absolutely obliterated. And Messiah was going to do that. And they watched him. I mean, what could you want that's better than one who could raise the dead? Your, your soldier gets wounded, back to life. The army gets hungry, here, fed. I mean, wouldn't, wouldn't that be wonderful? I mean, Rome couldn't stand against that. And so the whole of the crucifixion of Christ was an absolute enigma. They did not begin to comprehend how it's possible that Messiah, the chosen, the anointed one, could be put to death, put in on, a on a cross, and then put into a tomb. That was outside of their categories of thinking. And so when he said to them, this is going to happen, Peter said, no, it's not. And Jesus said to him, get behind me, Lucifer, you opposing one. You don't save her. You don't have a clue about the things of God. And I thought to myself, is that how obtuse we are? That we, do, we, we can read and we do not see and understand what God is trying to say to us? And so I'm sharing with you literally a 40-year search. This is the first time I've preached this. You may say, I hope it's the last one. But I say, in the light of eternity, what's an hour? <laughs> you see, I want us to hear Christ's words. 
He kept saying to his disciples, well, he kept saying to all of them, and what did he say to them? If anyone comes after me, what? Deny himself? Take up his Rolls Royce? I mean, pardon me. Take up his and follow him. Did you sign into that package? If I'm a follower of Jesus Christ, I signed into that package. And so that's what you have in 1 Peter chapter 1. Right at the beginning of, of, of Peter, he said, For you have been called for this purpose. What is the purpose? Since Christ suffered for you. Christ suffered for you. What? So that you don't have to suffer. And you can be healed. No, leaving us an example. Now, what does it say? That we would follow in his steps. Amen? You see, Paul speaks of the suffering on the, in this light. He, he said, we add or bring to completion the suffering of Christ. How on earth do we bring to completion the suffering of Christ? I thought the suffering of Christ was complete. Final. That's it. It's finished. But you see, do you think that Christ suffers when he sees the brokenness of his body on earth? Come on. Do you think he suffers? So do you think that at times there may be people in our midst who are carrying in their physical body the suffering of Christ for his broken body? And they're actually suffering with Christ over the brokenness of his body? Think it through. Is it possible? See, when we look at it, I'm asking God to give us a shift in how we view this whole thing of suffering. We need to begin to see something of the redemptive purpose of God that's tied in with it. Now, you see, that's the call. The call of Christ is, come follow me, take up your cross, participate with me in my suffering, or as Paul put it, what is it? He said, that I may know him, the power of his resurrection. We'd like to stop there, right? The fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death. That was the passion in Paul's heart. Now, how do we walk this out? You see, we have to kind of take a look at the counterculture that we're living in. And this counterculture is rooted in the Declaration of Independence. Now, we like that, don't we? The Declaration of Independence. Doesn't that sound good? Glory, hallelujah. All men were created equal. Yeah, I like that. With certain rights. Mm, I like that too. The right to life, liberty, and what's the last one? Happiness. The right to life, liberty, and happiness. My wife and I were doing a marriage seminar in a church. And I gave an illustration of a woman who was giving her life to the Lord Jesus Christ and carrying in that 
life of Christ suffering in relationship to a, fa- a husband who was very abusive and very hostile to Christianity. This lady came up to me in a break, and she put her finger right up into my face, and she said, you cannot ask me to live that kind of a life. I have a right for happiness. And I said, you and I are reading two different Bibles. She just stormed off, left, left the building. (laughs) You see... Our focus on rights has done something. And in fact, we have today in the courts what they call hedonic damages. That's pleasure damages. In other words, what is the pleasure you've lost? And so when we're, we're trying a case, we get people to stand up and testify the emotional impact, how it has impacted me emotionally. Nothing about whether it's right or wrong. Nothing about whether it violates the word of God, the purposes of God. It's how does it make me feel? How does it impact me? How does it hurt me? And so we're supposed to assess and make judgment upon how I have been wounded, hurt, deprived by the action that's taken place. That's not biblical. See, it all is rooted in this whole thing of my rights. And I want to say to you, church, please, when the fear of God is removed from our hearts and minds, we will focus on How does this affect me? How does it affect my pleasure? How does it affect my purposes? Do we have that in the the world today? Do we have that in the church? I'm asking you, is there a larger picture? Is there something of greater significance? That is the purpose of God. How does this affect, how does it give expression to the nature of who God is, and how is he affected by this? Can we get into that realm? I trust that we will be able to, because I think that's where God wants us to be. You see, if I gave you the roots of of hedonism, listen to the statement by Aristippus. He was one of the students of Socrates, and he said, the good life rests upon the belief that among human values, pleasure is the highest. Among human values, pleasure is the highest. Pain the lowest and the one that should be avoided. Now, of course, that doesn't enter into the church, doesn't it? Except you walk out and people say, well, did you enjoy the service? Did you like the worship? No, it's too loud. It wasn't lively enough. Oh, it wasn't spirit anointed. I mean, just a second here. I thought we had gathered to worship him. I was in Pune, India, at a seminary teaching, and I I was listening to this tin drum. Now, I, if you want me to be critical, it gets into the music area. <laughs> and I'm sitting there listening to this tin drum, and I thought, God, this is, this is just hard to take. <laughs> I wanted to exit. 
And these words were spoken to me, not audibly, but I knew that it was, it was the voice of God. Dwayne, do you see their heart? Do you see their heart? I felt totally rebuked. Totally rebuked. Because I was, I was evaluating on the, on the terms of what musically gives me pleasure. Amen? And God was saying, no, Duane, it's not what musically gives you pleasure. It's where is their heart in, in their, in their desire to worship, adore me, and praise me. Your pleasure, Duane, isn't the issue. See, Epicurus, who actually became the father of hedonism, said the fundamental moral obligation is to maximize pleasure or happiness and minimize pain. Now, do we live with that today? Yes, we do. See, if I had uh, sort of a picture up there for you of the flooding, of earthquakes, of tornadoes, of all of these phenomena that take place, accidents, disasters. You see, what happened is this. Philosophy had high ideals, but it had no answer for the complexity of life. On the other hand, religion or the gods were powerful, capricious, inept, and ritualistic. And there wasn't life and dynamic in it. And so what you had out of this, philosophy that really could not answer the complexities of life, could not answer the presence of evil, could not put together these fragments of pain and suffering, and religion over here that didn't actually offer any other solution. And so what you have out of that is the whole hedonism philosophy. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. In other words, maximize your pleasure right now because it's terminal. You're finished. How many of you know that that has the sound of one who is a liar? Amen? You see, hedonism is a philosophy of despair. Burned out philosophy and irrelevant religion, as I said, give rise to the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you die because I don't have purpose. How many of us can understand that if we live a life without purpose, we live a life that is fraught with despair, discouragement, and defeat? Did you know that over 80% of the people that head home after a vacation experience a depression? Because they have to come back to the, run, the, the mundane routine of life. That sounds like a problem to me. See, in the midst of all of that, here we are. Natural disaster, economic collapse, injustice, disease, civil war, all of these things, personal conflict, and we say, where's God? Where's God? Because we haven't actually come to understand how God can work and can be in the midst of all of that. But standing somewhere in the shadows, 
in the darkest hour, if your eyes are open and your heart is inclined to the Father, you will find Jesus. I promise you. See, if you look at the, if you look at the death of Christ, was God there? Yeah, darkness in the middle of the day. Darkness. The veil torn from top to bottom. Graves opened up. Dead people now walking on the streets of Jerusalem. Was God in the midst of that darkness? Yes, he was. They couldn't see it. But after it actually happened, the centurion said, he was the son of God. Something in that tragic hour opened the eyes of that centurion to see God was in the middle of the suffering. Amen? And I'm praying for that. You see, there's a tension. Again, if I had it put up here in front of you on the one side, you've got prosperity, protection, prestige, power, popularity. How many of us wouldn't vote for that side? Sure we would. And I could take you back in Scripture and show you how each one of those is rooted in something that God in actual fact wants for us. He wants us to be the head, not the tail. Doesn't he say that? Yes, he does. On the other side, we've got deprivation, disappointment, distress, danger, disease. And if you want to read all of those, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and chapter 6. They're all there, and Paul talks of them as his experience. Now, if you're given a choice this morning, church... How many would choose the side of the peace, the prosperity, and the prestige, and the, you know, the power, the popularity? How many would like that side? Now, there's a few of us, myself included. How many say, well, do I know what I really want is I really want deprivation, disappointment. I want distress, danger, and disease. Hey, I don't see any hands. See, but how many of us can say that God is on that side? And that's what Paul said. Cast down, but not in despair. He actually said distressed, discouraged, but not without hope. See, because he knew God was in the midst of something that he was going through. He knew God was there. You see, if you go through the storm that Jesus was in the boat with his disciples. Here was the storm on the sea. And when Jesus rebuked it, he said, be muzzled. That's the actual Greek. Be muzzled to the storm. He wasn't just talking to the wind. He was talking to whatever it was that was behind that wind. And what was on the other side where he was headed? The demoniac. Right? That's where he was headed. Do you think there's going to be a storm in your life if you're headed directly to where Satan has control? Do you think there may be a storm that comes into your life that upsets your little ship, fills it up with water, makes you think you're going to drown? If you're headed in a direction where God himself is going to reveal his power over the kingdom of darkness? Do you think there might be a storm? I can tell you there will be a storm. Because any time you are a threat to the kingdom of darkness, the enemy is going to challenge 
where you stand. That's where if I cower, turn back, run away from the battle, I'm taking myself out of the purpose of God. Amen? See, women, Hebrews chapter 11. Women receive back their dead, raised to life again. Now, don't stop there, because it says others were tortured and refused release that they might gain a better resurrection. They saw something beyond. Abram, the father of our faith, asked of God to put his son on the altar. And let me say this. God will touch what's valuable to you before he will entrust what's valuable to him. Please hear me. And Abraham took and, and followed God. He was ready to sacrifice his son. The scriptures tell us that in that he believed that God was able to raise his son from the dead. You see, in the midst of the, of the journey with God and God's request in such a, I think, in such a dramatic way, can you imagine being asked to put your son on the altar and sacrifice him? It's hard to imagine. And yet in the midst of that, he had a revelation of who God was as the resurrecting God. You see, one thing that I ask for is a confession that we make. In saying what I'm saying, talking about suffering, I want to say always, always, always keep believing God for the miraculous. Always keep believing God for the miraculous. Until the day Marva died, that very morning I had prayed with her for God to bring healing to her physical body. That night when I held her in my arms, as Carla, she's here with William, they were singing, and as I was holding her, her eyes went up to the corner of the room and I felt her body go limp. And I saw her in my spirit dancing, uninhibitedly dancing into the presence of God. Now, was she fully healed? When she crossed over, she was. I promise you, she was. So never... Fall into the pit of unbelief. Please do not do that. But learn to embrace the power of suffering on the path of the supernatural. Keep that in front of you. Never forget it. Now, in this, you see, we, we need to take a look at, at the enigma in this a bit. Because it is. There's, there's contradiction. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Who does what? Heals all the diseases, all my diseases. Right? That's biblical. On the other hand, here's Paul in Ephesus doing extraordinary miracles. And yet he says to Timothy, his son in the faith, 
He says, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine oft infirmities. Miracles, extraordinary miracles. Timothy, take a little wine for thy stomach's sake, for thine oft infirmities. Or Epaphroditus, for indeed he was sick, nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, not only on him, but on me also, Paul says, and spared his life. You see, there's, there's a seeming contradiction. Part of it is that we don't understand the nature of God. We, we have what I call a Newtonian worldview. And he was a great, great uh, scientist, <laughs> great mathematician, etc., all of that. But you see, what he, what he was dealing with is the world is a predictable machine. It's a world of cause and effect. Life has predictable outcomes. And then we take that into our, into our biblical worldview. Obedience to God equals predictable results. So I've had people say, well, you know, I didn't have my devotions and my day went haywire. Well, I'm sorry. I hate you to have a haywire day tied to whether or not you had devotions. Amen? You see, disobedience to God equals predictable outcomes. Now, you see, I understand that God is predictable in one sense. He does say, believe, receive eternal life, disbelieve, reject Christ, and there's eternal damnation. He does say that, doesn't he? There are predictable results with God. I could take you back through the Old Covenant and show you in the Old Covenant how he, he establishes. You do this on this side, and the blessing of God will come. You do this on this side, and I will withdraw my blessing, and my judgment will come. See, there there is a picture of predictability about God. But is that the total picture of God? No, it isn't the total picture of God. You see, I'd like to take you with Job, to Job for a moment. God said to Satan, now listen to him. He said, Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Blameless, upright, fearing God, turning from evil. Wouldn't you like God to give you that resume? Come on. <laughs> I'd like God to be able to give me that resume. Somebody said to me, yeah, but you know, Job had fear. And that was the big problem. Because he said, that which I feared has come upon me. I oh, come on. Don't build your theology on Job's lament over what is happening to him. If God can give him that kind of commendation, if there was something there that was wrong with Job, do you think that God would have said to Satan, yeah, I know, he's a little bit of a rogue here. He has a fear, you know, he fears me, or he fears disaster, and I, I, yeah, I realize that's a little problem with him. No, God didn't do that. But you see, when Job's comforters come, they fall into the Newtonian worldview. They say, well, look, if you had been doing right, you'd be blessed. You'd have prosperity. Everything would be going fine. But fess up, Job. Where's the sin? What are you hiding? What have you done wrong? Just get, get it out in the open, Job. Because if you don't get it out in the open, I mean, you're doomed. That's what they were actually saying. You see, stop hiding the issues. You know, I wish I could put my faith into that kind of a box and know that if I 
did all the works right that God would reward me. It'd be nice to have a, a works theology, wouldn't it? No, I'm glad we don't. I'm very glad we don't. Because I couldn't do enough work, good works to offset the evil that's in my heart. I could not, and neither can you. See, how many of you know that God exists outside of his law? See, does God make the law and then put the straitjacket of the law upon himself and say, this is exactly how I'm going to perform. I'm going to be predictable to you all the time. No, he will take you on the same circuit that he took Job. Did you put the Pleiades up there? Look at all of it. It's crazy. He took him through this tour of creation and said, Job, were you there when? Were you there when? Did you see this? Are you, can you give explanation to this? He took him up into the majesty, the glory, the omnipotence of who he was as God and said, Job, were you there? Can you put this all together? Can you hold it all together? And Job saw the issue. You see, the issue was that Job was saying, God, you now must become accountable to me. You must explain to me why you've done what you've done. You must come down to my level, meet me eyeball to eyeball, and tell me what you're doing in this. And God says, Job, I will never come and place myself before the bar of your reasoning. Duane, I will never come down to where you're at and explain myself to you because I'm God and you will never fully understand all that I do as God. Amen? You see, there are things that happen that we do not comprehend. But Jesus Christ suffered, it says in Hebrews chapter 5, 8 and 9. He suffered. And what does it say? He learned obedience from the things that he suffered. He learned obedience from what he suffered. I developed a, a disease in the lungs. They figure I picked it up somewhere in my travels abroad. And it's what they call a myobacterium. It was, it was awful. I mean, I was on a dose of antibiotics that one of them, the uh, consequence could be death. In fact, the, uh, the doctor who was treating said to me, Duane, I, I know your background, I know your studies, and I, you're just going to go and, and in your text and find out what this is all about. And I said, you're right. <laughs> she said, I'm telling you right now, the one that we're putting you on, which we think is the one that will finally bring this to death, has, in some instances, created death, caused death. So I just want, I'm giving you my cell number, and I want you to call me. If there's any irregularity that comes, give me a call right away. So I looked at her, and I said, you mean to tell me that if I die, I'm supposed to phone you right away? <laughs> she said, just phone me. <laughs> 
But you see, I could take you through the life of Joseph, Elisha, Moses, the blind man, Lazarus, and I could ask you what happened. God was God, and he was working in all of those situations for a purpose that was beyond what either one of them, any one of them knew. Can you trust God? Can you trust God? Can I trust God? See, I need to understand that Satan wants to use suffering. He is the contender. He wants to discredit God's character any way he can. He wants to display his power any way he can. He wants to divide God's people any way he can. He wants to draw us into his judgment because he knows his judgment is coming. And he wants you and me, he wants us all to suffer with him in his eternal demise. Satan wants to use it, but God wants suffering to work on his behalf. See, God helps us to understand that time and eternity must be put into perspective. Our body is temporal, not eternal. Can you say it with me? My body is temporal, not eternal. I didn't hear it. My body is temporal, not eternal. Remember this. Go back into the garden. When God created Adam, there he was, perfectly formed, molded. Every part of his physical being was there, but he was lying there as a, as a bunch of dust collected together. That's what God made us out of, isn't it? Until God did what? <laughs> Breathed into him the breath of life, the spirit of life. Breathed into him the dynamic energy of intellect, emotion, and will made him a spiritual being living within a body. And if you only remember one thing this morning, remember this. You are a spiritual being living in a mortal body. That mortal body, God says, is subject to corruption and decay. Right? This corruptible body must put on incorruption. You are a spiritual being. The breath of life has given you life. God's breath has energized you. It's God's breath that gives you intellect, emotion, and will. You see, now, when we suffer, what happens is we understand that we're living in something that's temporal, not what is eternal. It releases the life of Christ in us. That's 2 Corinthians 4, 8 to 10. You can look these up. It keeps us in touch with our humanity within our dependence on him. Our dependence on him. You see, I don't like infirmity. In fact, our son dropped me off at the airport not too long ago, and one of the concierge said to me, Anna said to me, well, Dwayne, uh, should I help you to the gate, get you know, a wheelchair and help you to the I said, well, I think I, could, I can make it okay. Lowell turned to her and said, no, what he actually meant to say is I'm too proud to accept the help. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> but isn't that the truth? 
See, God loves to put us in the place where we become interdependent and understand physically that we have need of one another. It's when we are weak, we are strong. Part of that strength is the empowerment that God gives us through others that stand with us, walk with us in the weakness. That's a strength. So when I've had phone calls, Brian calling me, how are, how are you doing? Do you know what that does? That brings strength to this ailing old man. You see, because God has intended that. Hasn't he, church? That we become, we become interdependent. We, we draw life. When you took that wafer this morning, you were taking the life of Jesus Christ. And we share that life of Jesus Christ with one another. He, in our weakness, we need others. If you think that you're self-sufficient, you have all that you need, please, please, please repent this morning. Because you don't have everything you need. I don't have everything I need. He created us in weakness, that that weakness could glorify Christ in how we bring into our lives from others the things that we need. Amen? It keeps us in touch with others and keeps us from exalting ourselves. When we're weak, then we are strong. Not long ago I was reading, when I was reading through, I read through the scripture a few times a year, and I was reading in Corinthians, and he said, therefore glorify God in your weakness. I stopped, I said, God, I don't know of one time in my life where I've ever glorified you in my weakness. Do you know of one time when you have? Oh, God, I want to praise you. I want your glory to be manifest in this weakness. Because that's not where we live. But when we have God's view of what he is doing, what he's intended for us, you see, the ultimate answer to our suffering, the ultimate answer rests in the justice, wisdom, knowledge, and the goodness of God. It rests there. Can you leave it there? And in the midst of the suffering, say, He does all things well. Amen. Thank you, Father, that you do all things well. And you work all things for good in all of our lives to bring glory to your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. We want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit sink today's message into your heart, to let it transform you and bring new life. If you want to learn more about Koinonia, you can go to kcf.life to get connected. Thank you for being a part of our community. If today's message encouraged you, we would love for you to rate it and review it and share it with a friend. We love you. Let's continue to build God's kingdom together.